The Freddie Mercury who haunts me wears no costume. He commands no madding crowd. He is not the classic yellow and white clad poser, leading a thousands strong throng through improvised call and response, nor a velvet cloaked and crowned finale king. It is not his unitarded prancer, his leather biker, his vested rocker, nor any other stage or video incarnation of him who lurks in my mind. The version of Freddy I like to remember is a low-key, clean-cut, forty-something, in denim and plaid, with nothing at all about him that gives away rock star. That Freddy could have been anyone. We came across him when and where we least expected to. At dusk, alone, unfettered by minders, in the back bar dinge of a local pub. I say local. While I have been floored by a few places in my time, a more magical setting is hard to imagine or describe. Queen's home from home on Switzerland's Vaude Riviera during the band's 80s heyday, when they owned their own recording studios there, could have been the archetypal chocolate box image. The town of Montreux's retro charm complements the immense natural beauty of the landscape. I remain captivated to this day by that lake and those mountains. I still think of the place as more of a ballet russe-style backdrop for Swan Lake or Giselle than as a location indelibly linked with rock and roll. I've been back a couple of times in recent years, not least to pay my respects at the late Irena Sedletska's striking bronze statue of Freddy, three metres high, on the promenade at the Place du Marché. It was unveiled on the 25th of November 1996, five years after his death, in the presence of his parents, sister, bandmates and Spanish soprano Montserrat Caballé, one of Freddy's most cherished friends. Suspended against the blur of Lac Le Mans, as Lake Geneva is called there, the Chamblay Alps loom as darkly today as they did that memorable night in May 1986, when Roger Taverner and I, showbiz reporters deployed by rival English newspapers, came stumbling past the Chateau de Chillon in search of a drink. The wind was up and the trees were swaying. We lurched away from the lake and into the white horse. Freddy was within, holding court. At this, the only tavern in town, he was a regular. He was hanging towards the rear in the company of strangers, half his age, male, trim, and tightly belted. They jousted in French, jostled for position, and dangled on his every word. It was one of those moments that can be neither contrived nor repeated. While by no means the first time I'd been in his company, I believe this was the only occasion when I met the real Freddy. In the absence of personal assistants, publicists, roadies and gophers, that irritant from their management office, the taciturn blonde to whom they referred as his common-law wife, we were neither ignored nor banished, despite which we kept our distance. Because of this, he came to us. Siggy, he pronounced pointedly, as if it were someone's name. I glanced around for Phoebe, the affable Peter Freestone, who was Freddy's constant companion and acknowledged best friend. Unusually, he was nowhere to be seen. Nor were any other members of the entourage present, specifically Brian, Roger and John, a.k.a. the band. How was Freddy going to pay for his drinks, I wondered. Though it wasn't my business, the thought preoccupied me. 
Peter himself once confided that his boss never carried cash, nor checkbook, nor credit cards, nor even his own passport, as though in homage to the monarch herself. My companion, meanwhile, pulled out a packet of Marlborough Red. I prefer silk cut, frowned Freddy, tutting and snatching one anyway. We smiled and bought a round, a large vodka tonic for Freddy, a bottle of Pinot Noir and some beers, and withdrew to flirt with friends who'd made it there ahead of us. Freddy, we realised, would not be leaving us alone. He'd soon come sniffing again. Queen were riding high at the time. They were the toast of the world having stolen Live Aid from under the noses of Bono, Bowie, Elton, Macca and all those other music legends at Wembley Stadium the previous July. Rethinking retirement, they'd hit the road again, for what no one could have known at the time would be their final outing with Freddie.